to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea with you here with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I am chatting with my friend, Daniel Oscar, who is CEO of the Center for Supportive Schools. Aside from that, has had a long and illustrious career in the education nonprofit space. And today, we're going to talk about how he, as somebody who's been in the space for a long time, has gone the distance, which is particularly appropriate because he is a marathoner. So there are going to be some nice analogies that we can draw from there. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much, Ria. It's very good to be talking to you. Oh, I'm so excited to be talking to you. I think we talked about this maybe a month or so ago. So glad the timing worked out. Yes. Awesome. We can make it happen. Making it happen. That's what we do here at Nonprofit Lowdown, Daniel. I love it. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your career up to this point. Okay. Well, I have been working in education and education reform and working from both within the system and outside the system to try to make it even better than it is now. And it could could stand to get a lot better. And that started with me at high school graduation, shaking the principal of my school's hand as he handed me a diploma and saying, I'm going to come back and teach here when I graduate from college. And I ended up not doing that, but went to college and after graduating, went and taught in China for a year, actually, and then came back to help Wendy Kopp launch Teach for America back in 1989 and became one of the leaders of that organization for about five years and then went into charter school work for about 10 years and founded another organization called The Learning Project that started a few schools. And finally, well, not finally, but ended up doing some consulting for a little while and then ended up at Center for Supportive Schools, where I've been for the last 10 years, just had my 10th anniversary this summer. So that's sort of the timeline. Yeah. So there's so many things that I admire about you, but one of them, one of the things that strikes me particularly relevant for this conversation is that you have had not one, but multiple stints as a founder leader and at least two stints at which you've been an executive director for over a decade. Is that right? We talk a lot about burnout in the nonprofit space. And I'm just wondering for someone who has been able to sustain and, and seems like you're having a great time, at least from the outside looking in, how is it that you've been able to stave off burnout and, and go the distance? And I don't know if a, a marathon analogy is appropriate here, but to run the marathon, not the sprint. Well, as my family knows, I love talking about running marathons. So we can spend the rest of the podcast talking about that. But the, I mean, I, I definitely have gone through periods that what I would call intense burnout. So it, although I have over the last decade or so managed to avoid doing that. And I think the key for me has been some really obvious fundamentals that you learn in kindergarten, but that somehow we forget. And this, these are not applicable to everyone but they are applicable to me and I'm guessing they're applicable to a lot of other folks. And so the two key things that have helped sustain me are getting sleep and exercise. Mm -hmm. 
And really, you know, this is a tired analogy, but nonetheless a good one in terms of when you get on an airplane, they tell you to fasten that when oxygen mask drops, you want to put it on your face before you start helping others. And I'm a big believer that in order for you to be helpful to other folks, you have to be taking care of yourself first and foremost. And I'm not always successful in doing that because there are obviously times of crisis that get in the way when you have to break the norms. But I return to those principles as quickly as possible and try my best to hold them. Let me ask you another question, which we haven't discussed before, but it seems to me that I, I spend a lot of time in my practice and as a founder myself thinking a lot about the unique characteristics of founders versus I'll call them second round executive directors who are there to sustain an organization, not to build it. And it's been it's interesting to me that you have done both things. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you have been able to successfully make the transition from a founding executive director and a founder to running the Center for Supportive Schools, in which I, I know that you stepped in as the second executive director CEO. Yes. So the organization Center for Supportive Schools existed for 30 years prior to my arrival when the founder my predecessor, Dr. Sharon Rose Powell, retired. And I mean, I do, I understand the distinction that folks make. A founder, someone who has a fantastic idea and can run with it for a short period of time and build some, build the concept out. But then when it takes, we have to go the next step and develop a sustained organization that might require a different skill set. I view I find myself much more closely aligned with the founder mindset. And even though I've joined an organization that was 30 years old, and I'm very grateful for the foundation that was created prior to my arrival, and we'll always be indebted to our founder, I do feel that we are trying to create something new every Mm. every year. And so I don't feel any more constrained by the history of this organization than I felt when starting my own organization in terms of the opportunities for the future. Mm -hmm. So, and there are definitely aspects of organizations, sustaining organizations that are not my sweet spot. And for those, I'm fortunate enough to have a great team of folks who have those areas as their sweet spots. So mm-hmm. we make it work as a team. That's an interesting question because I think, at least from my observations, one of the one of the challenges of a founder is that they, they do it all and they think that they can do it all. And, and they're a little bit loath to delegate, but there also can be some blind spots around what they do well and what they don't do well, because I think a founder always believes like they can figure it out and I can get it done. So how are you able to develop that awareness for yourself around things that you like to do, things that you're good at and things that you don't like to do and aren't good at and therefore need to hire for? Well, I have no shortage of insecurities about the things that I'm not good at and I can't avoid but to be reminded about them all the time. So that's not been a challenge for me. And I never thought that I was someone who could do it all and have always been very welcoming and appreciative of support 
and working with others. And at the same time, I do recognize that there are certain things that I have to offer that our organization might be lacking if I wasn't around. Mm -hmm. And so I do my best to think about what are the things that I am, if not uniquely qualified, very well qualified to offer Center for Supportive Schools. And I try to focus as much attention I can on those items and areas where I feel that other people can contribute as well or better than I can. I'm anxious for those other people to do so. I'm going to switch tacks a little bit. So I know we alluded to the fact that you are a marathoner. How many marathons have you completed at this point? Probably about 10 or 11. That's amazing. I've done one and I thought it was going to kill me. But, you know, I think that there's something incredibly humbling about doing a marathon. And there's persistence, there's grit, there's kind of understanding the limits of your own physicality. And I'm wondering if you can apply anything that you've learned about running marathons to your career in the nonprofit space? There are, because I do think about running quite a bit, and I do think about my work in the nonprofit space and it's Center for Supportive Schools quite a bit, I do see lots of parallels. And I mean, I think in terms of the self-care one that we talked earlier about, one of the issues in terms of that's important to keep in mind when making it to the end of a marathon is that if you, it's not important at the beginning of the marathon just to feel comfortable. It's important at the beginning of the marathon to feel so comfortable that you know you could run a lot faster right then and there. And it is incredibly hard to contain yourself from speeding up, but you do so anyway, because you know that you're in it for the long haul. And that 20 miles later, you will not be able to sustain yourself if you have spent it all at the start. Mm -hmm. So I am going to try to stick to the sleep Mm -hmm. and the eating decently and the exercising, Mm -hmm. even if I'm super excited about something at work that I would like to stay up all night trying to get done and recognize that I will pay for that down the line. And while I may be able to pull it off, for over the course of the, the coming few days, it is not built for the long term. And I view all the projects that I've been involved in as very long term. So in the arena that I'm in, the not-for-profit arena, you know, I'm not trying to build something in two or three years and then make a, a sale to someone else. I'm trying to build something that every year is going to have more impact than the year before. So that 20, 30 years from now, it is continuing and to have an increasing impact that will help lots of folks. What I'm hearing from that is both an awareness of self, a sort of self-discipline to not sprint out of the gate to be able to go the distance and also patience. And I'm wondering, do you feel like these are characteristics that you've cultivated? Were you born with them or did you have to learn them over time? I'm always learning and I'm never done. So I'm still learning about those characteristics. I think the patience one is probably one that I've acquired over time. We have to approach all of our work with a sense of urgency, but we have to put caveats around that sense of urgency. And I say that because in the 30 years that I've been involved in education, we've said every year that 
every kid only has one chance at life and we need to fix it now or that life may not be off to as great a track as it would otherwise be. And that is a true statement. At the same time, some of these problems are so intractable that, or many of them, they can't be fixed in one year. And if you keep announcing that you're going to fix it in a year, it no longer rings true. So we need to make progress every year. We need to make more progress than the year before every year but we have to be realistic about how change comes and fits and starts. And simply because you demand that it happen doesn't mean it will happen within a short time frame. That has been learned. I think I definitely, as I mentioned to you, I've gone through my periods of burnout, extraordinary burnout. And I know that, that I operate very differently now than I did 20 years ago because of that. So these yeah. are things that I've acquired. So tell me a little bit more about how you've you've gotten made your way back from burnout because I do think that especially amongst my executive director peers, you know, many of them are transitioning out at a very very high rate because I think that there are many things about the nonprofit space that are unsustainable. And I'm wondering, I mean, as a former ED myself, I I feel like it probably took me a year to feel like a normal person after my last go around. And so I'm wondering for yourself, how did you know that you were burnt out and what did you do to get back to the point where you were ready for another leadership position? Well, it was very easy to know that I was on the way to being burnt out. I mean, inability to sleep, inability to eat, high levels of anxiety there, and therefore not prioritizing time well, not making smart decisions. There were no shortage of signals. And so it was a decision that if I'm going to contribute over the long term, I need to slow down. And part of it is that I have certain, that that as a CEO, I have of a, an organization that does have more than one or two people. I have a super strong team to work with. I'm not every CEO has that. And that makes it much more difficult and the choices are much starker when, if the CEO is to prioritize self-care over getting done all the things that that person wants to get done. And I, I guess the encourage, what I would encourage folks to think about is again, not the next year or two, but the next decade or two. And that should be the timeline for making a big impact. Can you tell me what the best advice you've ever gotten about your career has been? And then on the flip side, what's the worst advice you've ever received? So I don't remember getting a ton of advice, either good advice or bad advice. I do know that I've heard lots of folks talk about the fact that People should follow their passion, do what they love. If if your work is what you love, then you're not really working. And I think that, you know, that's a privilege to live that sort of life. And not everyone has that opportunity. In fact, most people I'd say don't have that opportunity. So I think that that is good advice for those who, who have the privilege to act on it. 
but I am concerned about the lack of advice that I had growing up, whether it was from family or school and about the different career opportunities that would exist. And I grew up in circumstances where I likely had uh, many more supports than most people have. And so I am incredibly concerned about the lack of guidance that our young folks get in figuring out what the future opportunities are and what they need to do now in order to prepare themselves for it. And part of that is a function also of the fact that we don't know what the future holds. So it's hard to know what the careers will be. So, but I don't have a, sort of a list of great advice that I got and bad advice that I got. Well, Daniel, now is your opportunity for any of our younger listeners who are thinking about making a career in nonprofit over the long term for the not just the one or two years, but the 10 to 20 to 30 years. Do you have any advice for them? I mean, I know we talked about self-care. I know we talked about getting enough sleep and eating well. And I'm just wondering if there's any other advice that you think would be helpful to them. I find that my work and throughout the various jobs that I've held, whether at a very senior role in an organization or at a less senior role in an organization, has involved collaborating with other folks to get things done, working in teams. And I found that I learned almost none of that in school. And that was a tremendous disadvantage for me when I found myself in situations where I was working with others. And I had to learn to not try to win arguments or be right, but rather think through how can I contribute to this conversation or to this work in a way that is most likely to get to a place that makes the most sense. And that is very different than being right or winning arguments. And it often requires a lot of silence and just listening. So I would get a lot of practice with working with teams, whether it's through extracurricular activities, and I would get a lot of practice in not trying to be right and trying to think about what it's like for someone to hear everything that you are saying. So rather than focus on what you want to say, focus on what would be the most helpful for that person to hear and what would it feel like to hear? Yeah, I love that. Actually, we're going to post a podcast or by the time this post, it will have already posted about the, the power of conversations to build relationships. Yeah. And, and my friend Jen, who was on, she said this thing that I've been repeating ad nauseum ever since, which is the conversation is the relationship and the relationship is the unit of change. And it's just been resonating with me all day. I like that a lot. So Absolutely. Well, Daniel, this has been really great. I really appreciate your time. I'll make sure to post all of your info. Folks want to learn more about Center for Supportive Schools and, and about you. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And keep running those marathons. All right. <laughs> we'll do it.